Hi, listeners. Yabade here. And Dr. Moji is here to listeners. Well, mom, listeners, all of you should be made aware. I'm a little tired at the moment. I've just returned from a pretty lengthy trip to Seattle. And so I have to admit that of all the days to pick to record, I have no idea why I suggested this one. I think I just figured I'd bounce back because Seattle isn't that far away from where I am in the Bay Area and San Francisco. So in theory, an hour and 40 minute flight shouldn't do much damage to you, but apparently it actually can. Maybe it's because Seattle's just had their heat wave. So I was in a much hotter climate than I'm used to or that I've become used to living in the Bay Area. But nevertheless, I'm back home. I'm going to try to give it a little bit more energy. Maybe over time, I'll find that energy. Maybe as we're talking about this topic, mom, it'll kind of bring me back to life. All right. Well, never mind all of that. I don't know why I'm even saying all of this at the moment, because I think I'm supposed to be reminding listeners right now. Remember to text along as you're listening or after you've listened. Our number is 650-360-7282. That's 650-360-7282. And also remember to rate and review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Listen, we aren't picky about the platform that you rate and review the podcast. Just go ahead and spread the word, share your feedback. And while we're at it, let your friends, your family, everyone in your network know about the podcast. You never know who might be in need of hearing encouraging messages and just positive voices. And we are more than happy to be part of those positive voices. Well, my daughter, I'm very happy that you are able to record today. Honestly, I understand how it can feel having traveled and done all that you needed to do in Seattle and then back home. And here's your mom saying today is our recording day. So I appreciate it that at least you try to gear up. And who knows, as we continue recording, I'm sure you will feel less tired. That's right, listener. She's cracking the whip. That's what I haven't shared yet. She expects things done a particular way <laughs> on certain days. I'm just kidding. Mom, you are the complete opposite of that. Listeners, I'm just so happy that we're back again to share with you some of our thoughts and just spend some time uh, with you. We appreciate the time you'll be spending to listening to us. Um, I want to begin today by actually asking a question. Would you consider the use of jargon as a status symbol? Um, maybe. I feel as if this might be a trick question, but potentially I would consider it maybe. <laughs> Perhaps, I guess I'm thinking of medical jargon or legal jargon, and that I suppose can be indicative or maybe suggest someone that's in a high status position or a high status individual even. But I guess maybe that's not how I would define a high status person. Okay, my daughter. I'm also interested anyway in knowing what some of our listeners will say. So you've shared your own position. Uh, you could also consider jargon in other uh, fields. Uh, beyond legal, medical, psychological jargon, economic jargon, whatever jargon. Why did I ask those questions, actually? 
I came across research that suggested people use jargon to compensate for low social status in a group. The investigators of several studies assessed about 1,600 people's status or assigned them to low-status or high-status groups. Then they gave them opportunities to use more or less jargon. They were to pitch a startup idea or present scientific research. What the investigators found was that low-status participants used more jargon, acronyms, and legalese than high-status participants. In another series of studies, these investigators looked at the titles of about 65,000 dissertations, and they found that students from low-tier universities used more jargon and acronyms than those from higher-ranked schools. So the simpler an explanation, the higher the status. Is that the sense I'm getting here, Mom? Did I understand that correctly? Yes, you did. Okay. So I don't even know where to start here because I have so many thoughts. I have so many comments. The first is I feel a little uncomfortable with the whole status assessment and determination. So I'm working from a place of caution here because it makes me feel pretty uncomfortable, especially thinking of other people trying to assign another set of people or set of individuals a status ranking of higher, lower, whatever other um, tiers exist. But if I take a step back, I do have to admit that I kind of get what the researchers are saying. So the idea here is that if you perhaps view yourself or believe that you are at a lower status, you would attempt to compensate by trying to sound, I guess, more knowledgeable or more like an expert or highly qualified in whatever your respective field may be. And in the case of some of the dissertations, you could just be a student that's presenting your thesis. You try to compensate and make up for perhaps what you view as lacking from a status perspective. Even thinking of myself I don't necessarily agree. I feel as if I save a lot of the technical jargon and acronyms for those who I think can quote unquote keep up or who are in my field in particular. Maybe it's because I don't necessarily feel insecure about my status. I feel so nervous here. Like I'm navigating through a minefield. I don't even know how to select my next word because it just feels so uncomfortable. Let me move on. I think that's very interesting. I agree with you, mom. Very cool. I don't know if I entirely agree, but I can see how those findings would make sense. Let me leave it at that. Okay. On to today's episode, midlife crisis. I am so happy that I have a co-host who's willing to indulge me on the most random topics and phenomena possible. I think when I first requested Midlife Crisis, I kind of expected, Mom, that you would laugh at me and say, "What? why is that of any interest? Why would you even think of that sort of um, topic to cover? But it's something that for me, it's pretty fun. 
And part of what makes it so appealing is that there are all of these visuals that come to mind. I picture that middle-aged man that's flying down the road in a sports car or someone who's selling everything they own to live life on the road or some other radical change that I've seen depicted in movies and TV shows. And it's always so entertaining. It's entertaining both to see and to think about. And even for me, from time to time, I'll have moments where I can't help but wonder what type of middle-aged person will I be if I get so lucky, I guess, to make it there? Nothing's guaranteed in life. But really, it's something that I do feel amused by. And listeners, I hope you feel the same way. Otherwise, I'll feel very guilty for actually making my mom explain midlife crisis to us. At the end of the day, if you don't find it as entertaining, rest assured that there'll be valuable insights that you can pick up along the way. Because even as half of the name suggests, crisis, it's something that all of us are bound to experience at some point in time. And there's a lot of learning that can come from something as exciting as a midlife crisis. All right, mom, to get us started, why don't you walk us through the psychology behind what we refer to as a midlife crisis? Before I answer your question, my daughter, actually, when you first suggested that maybe we should consider this topic, I thought you were just trying to prepare for middle adulthood, that even though you're still some ways from it, that you would like to better understand not only other people, but to prepare you for when that period arrives for you. And I was very open to it because I can say, I mean, my middle adulthood years, or maybe at the early stage of old adulthood, depending on where the cutoff is, because some people will suggest that the cutoff, the beginning of old adulthood is 60, while some people would say it's 65 and I'm in between. So let's get started by first considering what midlife crisis is. It is a period of psychological distress that is thought to occur to some people during middle adulthood, roughly from, say, about 40 years of age to 60, or as I alluded to, to 65 years of age. So we can look at that period from 40 to the maximum 65 years of age. The origin of the concept is actually attributed to a physician and psychoanalyst, Jacques Elliott. He had written an essay that was published in the mid-1960s in which he describes what is meant by midlife crisis. Uh, At that time, he suggested that a midlife crisis is a psychological crisis whereby individuals have feelings of intense depression, remorse, and high levels of anxiety. He also said that some individuals at that period had some desire or urge to achieve youthfulness, and some had this wish to make drastic changes about their lives. Similarly, later on, another psychologist suggested that during midlife, some individuals, you'll note that I'm saying some, some, not all, some individuals might experience a sense of stagnation, which could include one extreme of being self-absorbed and another of being overly indulgent. 
More recently, another psychologist described how each person during this period, middle adulthood, must confront a set of difficult tasks. We have to confront some challenges such as accepting of one's own mortality, recognizing new physical limitations and health risks, and adapting to major changes in most roles. So there might be changes if you were a father, a father at 20, for instance, your role and activities and what you do will be different from being a father, say, at 45. So these psychologists believe that dealing with all these tasks is highly likely to exceed many people's ability to cope therefore creating, quote-unquote, a crisis. It can include self-doubt and stress, which of course would likely promote major personality restructuring. So for some individuals, their personalities might actually change because of these, quote-unquote, what has been described as a crisis where some individuals might engage in or experience more self-doubt and stress. Midlife crisis can last from three to 10 years in men, while it can last from two to about five years in women. It's actually fascinating to hear this. Like I said earlier, When I think of a midlife crisis, I think of it as something that just garners a fun reaction, something that provides entertainment value, whether it's laughter or shock. It's something that is bound to yield some sort of response from a viewing audience, for example. But to actually find out the extent of research and even the variations in describing the midlife crisis that's taken place within the field of psychology, it's mind-blowing, which confirms to me that psychologists are willing to study anything and everything, and they are willing to look at it from all dimensions possible, including even the duration of a crisis, the duration of a midlife crisis, which seemingly, mom, based on your explanation, tends to run a bit longer for men who do experience a midlife crisis when compared to women who do experience them. I'm emphasizing the do experience them in a similar way that you did with some individuals or some people, because it does really register that not everyone is bound to experience a midlife crisis. So let's dig a bit deeper. You've already set the stage here, but maybe you can walk us through some of the legitimacy building of the midlife crisis. What more is there to bolster this claim of a midlife crisis? Well, my daughter, um, just to make a quick comment about how you consider uh, the phrase midlife crisis uh, to be more of a joke, you are not the only one actually uh, that um, considers the phenomenon in that light. Uh, But at the same time, we're not making light of those who might say that they do experience um, midlife crisis or some of the descriptions that have already uh, given. Uh, Generally, there are at least two camps in terms of this particular phenomenon. So there's one camp where we have researchers who believe that a midlife crisis is fiction. This is because 
they see that or argue that serious midlife problems are experienced by only a small percentage of people. In fact, some percentages have been bantered about like 25% of individuals in this period would experience uh, quote-unquote midlife crisis. Those individuals, for instance, will be those who will uh, divorce Um, experience depression, um, alcoholism, and other signs of adapting to transitions in midlife. Then you have a second camp, and this will consist of researchers that claim that midlife crisis is a fact because it is a time when middle-aged adults have serious psychological problems, as I've alluded to things like self-doubt, but you could also add confusion. But these crises or problems may be caused by life events rather than age, according to those in this camp, the researchers in this camp. They suggest that individual differences, such as optimism, can affect how a person will construct his or her life story, or how they will construct what midlife is. Today, however, researchers believe that midlife crises are exaggerated, and what many of us consider to be midlife crises are due to aging, life events, and other intervening factors, for example, social factors, historical factors, Well, I think something that's consistent, regardless of the camp that you're in, is a key word there, transition. And what's fascinating to me when I think of a midlife crisis is I can't help but think of the trajectory or the natural pattern of happiness over the span of a lifetime. So listeners, it tends to follow a U-shaped curve. So you might have heard of a happiness U-curve, and that's what I'm referring to here in that on average, happiness or our state of well-being gradually drops at around midlife and then rebounds and starts to increase after 50. So following a U-shape from the time we're born to, well, the time we're no longer here. And in thinking about that pattern, thinking about that U-shaped curve, it makes sense to me that midlife If we're so lucky to have that be as we approach our 50s, then we would see this natural decrease in our happiness because more and more life events and unfortunately unfavorable ones can surround the um, accumulation of years on earth. So by the time we're reaching our 50s, there are all these life events such as losing family members or dear friends or significant others or divorce. They're major life events that are combined with this seemingly commonly experienced drop in happiness, or maybe that lead to the drop in happiness. And so when you think about it, regardless of which is coming first or which is the triggering event, or maybe it's just the same line that we're following, there would be this state of psychological distress as we approach our 50s. And it seems as if we can't always completely avoid this curve. We can't really bypass the happiness U-curve but we can decrease the effect it has on our life and our well-being. And I postulate, I have a theory that for those who are able to maneuver that U-shaped curve in happiness, they are the ones that are able to dramatically affect the likelihood of experiencing a midlife crisis. 
This is an original concept. I just came up with it about two seconds ago. But really, I feel as if if you're able to adjust that U-shaped curve, maybe you're able to make it a bit less pronounced. Perhaps that's the reason you're not experiencing a midlife crisis. But then if you don't have the tools or the skill set to reshape that U, then you are more likely to experience a midlife crisis. Maybe that's completely obvious. Mom, I can't tell from your reaction if you think it's really obvious and clear cut or not. I can't tell. (laughs) But regardless, that transition period can be a time to reevaluate our life. It can be this opportunity for us to evaluate our priorities, assess where we want to put our attention, determine what matters to us. So maybe it's not a crisis after all. Maybe it's an opportunity for us to make major life changes. Actually, my daughter, I liked how you related uh, the happiness you curve uh, to midlife crisis. So I was just thinking that's ingenious as you were talking. And that's the reaction I had in my face that you're Uh, referring to. Well, thank you. You know, I don't think my brain is functioning at all cylinders at the moment. Like I said, I'm pretty tired. (laughs) So I appreciate that compliment, mom. All right. Well, for those who believe that the midlife crisis is a fact, what are some signs? Good question, my daughter. It's very important that we know signs of midlife crisis. And these are several. They could include feeling unfulfilled in life. Um, And of course, this could vary from individuals to individuals. Some people will really, really have that sense of being unfulfilled. Some will have this intense feelings of nostalgia in which they engage in chronic reminiscing and they might be ruminating about the past. Some will have feelings of boredom, emptiness, and meaninglessness. Some individuals will be very impulsive, reckless in their actions. And then there could be some individuals in which the sign will be that they make dramatic changes in their behavior and appearance. Around this time too, it's suggested that at least research that marital infidelity or constant thoughts about infidelity is higher. Then there could be some who would uh, constantly be comparing themselves to others. Of course, we do that at any stage in our life, throughout the lifespan. But this is particularly more frequent uh, during midlife for some people. Despite all of those unfortunate experiences that you mentioned, whether they were those um, feelings of not being fulfilled or feelings of emptiness or um, even infidelity, these are all really tough emotions and experiences to go through. My hope, though, is that there's still the chance for other positive outcomes. Even going back to my theory earlier on of this transition period, I would hope that Aside from the not-so-great experiences and emotions, some good can at least come out of it, whether it's that clear focus as to what's most important to us or what we value or who we want to prioritize spending time with or what we give our attention to. But I can also see how in a state of crisis, that isn't necessarily what you're thinking about. You aren't thinking of maybe what's possible afterwards or after your crisis. You aren't thinking of the growth that's possible. 
So then, mom, what factors are associated with midlife crisis? From a realistic perspective, I know it's not just limited at whomever is able to navigate their U-shaped happiness curve best. Research has shown that several factors are associated with midlife crises. For instance, our personality. In general, midlife adults become more agreeable, but they decline in openness and neuroticism. Then factors such as our attitude, whether one has positive or negative attitude, has implications. Our beliefs, our beliefs about changes that occur as we age. Remember that it's possible that some individuals will see aging as a negative thing, whereas some others would see aging as being positive to the extent that you become wiser, you have learned from the past, and things like that. And another important factor associated with midlife crisis is availability or non-availability of social support. Well, I am all in the camp that's pro-aging and all that comes with it. I celebrate the aging process. Listeners, quite frankly, whatever your next birthday will be, whatever your next age milestone is, many other people will not have the opportunity to reach that milestone. They won't have that privilege. So if there's anything that life has taught me, it's that every single year, every single revolution around the sun, it's something to be celebrated and something to really be so grateful for. Shifting back to midlife crisis in particular, I read such a fascinating article on WebMD that had this section that really stuck out to me where they framed it as path to depression or growth. And in this section of the article, they interviewed a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm going to share a really long quote. Just bear with me. It's worth it at the end. Quote, whether a midlife transition will develop into serious depression or into an opportunity for growth depends on a number of factors, including support from partners and other loved ones. The therapist recalls a woman who came to her for counseling. She was in her late 40s, married to a man about the same age who had traveled extensively for his job throughout their marriage. That left her with full-time household responsibility raising the kids. She had been a nurse, but gave that up to be a full-time parent. When the kids went off to college, she thought, what now? The woman told her therapist that she felt she had lost her whole identity. The husband, who was also talking to the therapist, became concerned after his wife spent nearly a week sleeping and crying. The next time the therapist saw the woman in therapy, she offered her an alternative thought. You're not losing your identity you have an opportunity to create a new one. Yes, her parenting role would change, but having much less responsibility as her kids were now in college would free her up to develop a new image and identity. The thought appealed to her. The next week, she went to a college placement service to explore her options. End of quote. That's a loose quote. I changed a few things just to make it a bit easier for everyone to understand. But ultimately speaking, this highlights the point that we've been trying to get across, listeners. This transition period, it may feel to some as if they're losing or questioning their identity. They're questioning who they are. 
But with those questions, the answers and even the process of asking those questions could be something that helps us grow. It could be something that helps us discover who and what we want to be for the rest of our lives, or at least for the next chapter in our lives. The therapist in this article, though, also shares that not everyone glides through their midlife transition that easily. And in midlife, people need to be aware of symptoms that could be indicative of serious depression. And these could include our changes in eating habits or sleeping habits, or feelings of pessimism or hopelessness, or feelings of guilt or helplessness, or a loss of interest in the activities that we once enjoyed. Or perhaps even taking that a step further, thoughts of suicide or attempts at suicide. With all of this said, mom, I think it's important that we also highlight potential strategies to cope through midlife, potential techniques that we can use as we go through that downward happiness curve, and actually expanding that beyond just a midlife crisis through any life crisis. First of all, my daughter, it's important to also state this, that coping or dealing effectively with midlife crises should not be that you implode. By that, I mean one should not crumble or give up, nor should it be the other extreme that you explode. That is, we should not blow up or act strangely. But I have our listeners covered because my suggestions for coping and dealing effectively with midlife crises are geared towards getting you through midlife crises or any crisis for that matter. It's important that we prepare, all of us. We need to prepare, as we normally say, to prepare to catch curveballs or transitions that might elicit curveballs. So yes, get ready for the unexpected. It is also important that we set reasonable expectations or goals. When we aim for unreasonable expectations, we're setting ourselves up for frustrations or stress. It's also important that we make some changes. In doing so, Let's embrace our resourceful side. Develop a routine. Make sure you surround yourself with supportive individuals like family, friends, those interested in similar activities or hobbies. It's also important to check our self-talk. Make sure that you engage in affirming and positive self-talk. Also engage in practices, for instance, practice self-compassion. And of course, don't forget to practice gratitude. I can't help but believe that as with any crisis, there are going to be consistent tools that we can apply, whether those crises are taking place at midlife, during young adulthood, later on in life, whenever that may be. Those tools, the strategies, as well as even the experiences of other people must be something that has a place. Something that I recently heard and found so profound was this concept of comparing yourself to yourself, to stop comparing yourself to others. 
And I think about this a lot, whether I'm exercising, whether I'm at work, whether I'm interacting with my family, my friends, when I'm cooking even, I apply this as much as humanly possible. It's not a case of where you fall relative to another person. Even if that person is going through the same exact experience that you are going through or have been through, it's not a comparison game. What should really stand front and center is the comparison of yourself to yourself. If you're having a tough moment or you're feeling as if you're not accomplishing as much as you'd hope to, compare yourself to the days before or to any other time point. Maybe it's a comparison of when you were new to a job versus you now experienced in a particular role. Maybe it's you in a classroom at a grade level or at a place in your particular program that's further along than where you were months before, weeks before. With that, mom, we're ready for your quote for today. I think after this, I might have to take a nap, maybe get into bed early, actually. (laughs) Oh, my poor daughter. My quote for today is by Jonathan Lockwood Huey. Celebrate endings for the precede new beginnings. End of quote. Well, that's all for now. Thank you for spending time with us. Yes, we want to hear from you. Give us feedback on what you heard today and suggestions for topics you would like us to discuss in future episodes. You can email us at catchingcurveballs at gmail.com. That's catchingcurveballs, all one word, at gmail.com. Or you can text us at 650-360-7282. That's 650-360-7282. Also, remember to follow us on Instagram for much more content at Catching Curveballs Podcast. That's Catching Curveballs Podcast. And as always, remember to rate, review, and tell everyone you know about the podcast. We cannot wait to connect with you soon.